0: to The New chemists, We're glad you're listening. Feel free to download this podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Here on The New Chemist, we discuss chemistry, which simply put is the science of change, as well as careers, community, research, and COVID-19. We're happy you're tuning in. My guest today is Dr. Lewis N. Jianghai. Thanks for joining me today. It is good to hear from you. Just briefly, I'll inform my audience about you. Dr. Lewis N. Jungheim is a retired research fellow. He is the owner of LNJ j Consulting in which his primary focus is the critical evaluation of potential in-licensed opportunities for big pharma clients. He is an affiliate associate professor of medicinal chemistry at Roosevelt University School of Pharmacy in Chicago. And he has served as a member of the departmental advisory council and taught the medicinal chemistry of antibacterials. He is the former president of the Inuit Art Society He was a medicinal chemistry consultant to the NTB Now initiative via Lilly's connection to the World Health Organization and the William and Melinda Gates Foundation. He is an accomplished inventor with 31 plus years of medicinal chemistry experience at Eli Lilly & Co in infectious diseases, including antibacterials, antivirals, and antifungals. His medicinal chemistry experience includes oncology, neuropeptide receptors for neuroscience, and endocrinology. And he has also served as the inventor of the nk1 antagonist tridipitant. he was a nih nci postdoctoral fellow 1979 to 1981 at the university of rochester new york serving in andrew Kennedy's research group he earned his phd in 1979 at the university of wisconsin-madison at bain baritrosis research group he earned his ba in 1975 at northwestern university at evanson Illinois. In 1992, he was elected the chair of the Garden Research Conference on herosic Compounds, and he has served as an ad hoc member at the NIH study section in drug discovery and development. Highlights while he has served, he served as the Epigenetics Platform Chair, invented and developed small molecules that facilitate the oral uptake of therapeutic proteins. He was a member of the team that invented three clinical candidates, three clinical candidates growth hormone, secretagogues, for the treatment of frailty. He developed potent and selective inhibitors of MRP-1 transporters. He invented the first non-peptide-based inhibitors of rhinovirus protease. He was a member of the Lily-Argoron team that discovered Vericept, which is otherwise known as nelfinovier mesylate, the treatment of hiv aids he invented novel cephalosporin based prodrugs for the specific delivery of cytotoxic agents like vinca alkaloids and doxyrubicin by tumor specific conjugates he invented the first potent broad spectrum antibacterial non-beta-lactam inhibitors of penicillin binding proteins so these are just a few of his accomplishments however uh, lou is an accomplished medicinal chemist Please welcome Lou John. Hunter. Welcome to Chemistry as a Dialogue. This will be the first installment of a series of conversations in which we explain key ideas in chemistry as a dialogue between two friends.
1: Hey everyone, my name is Jason. Time and chance happen to us all. After working as an undergraduate and receiving a fellowship for graduate school, This is timely and an example of paying it forward for others to benefit. Remember the concepts, use the Accessible Organic Chemistry Guidebook on Apple Books and Barnes and Noble, and use different methods for healthy positive reinforcement. It is true that repetition and practice helps reinforce the concepts. You can do it, with the capability and
2: a hopeful realistic outlook. Hey everyone my name is Lebron, and this conversation is dedicated to the tens of people who have helped and inspired me, specifically my parents, my brother, my sister and those teachers in university and high school who helped make science accessible to me. Organic chemistry is a subject that requires effort, focus, and skill. These foundations have been selected after guided review and observation as to what concepts facilitate and support a good understanding as a student progresses through this discipline in chemistry. These foundations from the moiety to the metallics highlight with conceptual focus key ideas, points, and memory aids to support your success in organic chemistry. Learning organic chemistry is similar to building a house. It takes time, skill, and persistent efforts.
1: Let's begin. Let's begin this conversation. What are our goals
2: and what learning habits do we need to develop to learn this material well? Well some things to want to know are 1. The key words 2. The key ideas and relevance of structures which we call Lewis dot structures 3. As well as understand some simplified quantum mechanical concepts Jason So what are organic molecules? Well dude, organic molecules can be understood as multiple atoms associated together, made primarily from carbon. In short, organic molecules are carbon-based molecules. Yo dude, we can draw them in many ways and if we keep the same molecular formula, then those multiple versions are what we call isomers. These molecules may or may not have the same molecular formula. In cases where the molecular formula is the same but the structure is not the same we have what is called structural isomers. The constitution or connectivity is not the same, we have what is called constitutional isomers. And if the arrangement in 3D space
1: is not the same, we have what is called stereoisomers. I have heard of stereoisomers, especially when my friends talk about medicines. Something about some R and S anyways are their subclasses of stereoisomers?
2: Yeah, there are optical isomers, which are molecules that rotate light differently, and their mirror images are what we call non-superposable, which is a fancy way of saying when they are placed on top of each other like a pair of someone's hands. They don't match up perfectly. And bro, as you were talking about, enantiomers are normally designated by R or S which stands for rectus or
1: sinister. Wow, this is cool. So are there other types of stereoisomers? Lebron. Yeah, also there are geometric isomers, which are molecules that have non-identical mirror images. Yeah, dude, it's like you looked in a mirror, but saw something that not the same as yourself. Added to that in chemistry, we have double bonds and the way the atoms are arranged around the double bond. It is different for each isomers. We again in our fancy organic chemistry language call that either cis or trans. Hold on. Hold on wait and organic molecules can be
2: linear. Lebron, let me get my model kit, since it helps with this. If you have used your kit or gumdrops and toothpicks to build carbon dioxide, one flavor for carbon and one flavor for oxygen. So two oxygens and one carbon, the molecule is linear. Well, but the other linear molecules are triple bonded one, named acetylene. Let's keep using the gumdrops. We can have the atoms all in a plane, but like a triangle or we a, say, trigonal. Okay, tell me more. Molecules such as formaldehyde is trigonal planar, and this compound is used
1: in clinical settings. I think I understand. Molecules can have arrangements in 3D space such as methane, which is found in natural gas and exists as a tetrahedral molecule. Correct. Let's keep the cognitive train running. You can also at home practice
2: with computer software such as ChemDraw or Word. So what the importance of the structure of 3D molecules? So let me tell a story. A long time back, there was this guy named Gilbert Lewis. He did a lot of hard work that we use today, to note the positions of particles we call electrons. Other smart guys such as Gillespie and Nyholm also did significant work which gave us the set of ideas
1: we call VSEPR. Say what, Lebron? Just hold on a minute, let's get some more gumdrops. Yeah, let me grab my flashcards and my computer to make my Anki deck. Active recall let's go. Haha, <laughs> good job. As I was saying, the structure of 3D molecules
2: can be seen using good Lewis dot structures and we call the combo of Lewis and other scientist ideas VSEPR, which helps us predict or have an idea before experiments, what the likely structure of the molecule can be. However watch out these ideas are not perfect. We talk later about this, but some bond angles are slightly different than expected, and we have to adjust our ideas
1: with some quantum theory. Okay cool, let me recap before we move on. 1. Some keyword are molecules which is basically a fancy way of saying substances made of multiple atoms compounds which has multiple atoms which are different, isomers which are like the science version of family. We are basically the same but there is some difference. What did I forget? You forgot the skill that needs gumdrops, the SEPR. Oh yeah, that is the theory that allows us to have a possible idea of what the molecule structure in 3D is, right?
2: Correct. Also remember electrons are what we want to keep as far as possible. Since our buddy Coulomb taught us, like repel and opposites attract. Lebron. Also there is the mixing of orbital flavors which we call hybridization, a mathematical mixing, and depending of the shape we see a different combo or orbitals, linear SB, trigonal planar SB2, tetrahedral SB3, and other shapes you can check on internet. Just keep the basic idea in mind, which is geometry and orbitals are related. Some homework for you today. Questions. 1. What is organic chemistry and what is the historical origin of it? 2. What is one class of organic compounds? 3. What are three different types of isomers? 4. Explain the valence bond theory in general simple terms. 5. What is one molecular example, where valence bond theory does not accurately explain what occurs in molecules? 6. What are the hybridization of the carbon atoms in acetonitrile? 7. What are the designations of sigma and pi for the bonds in acetonitrile?
0: Welcome to The New Chemist. We're glad you're listening. Feel free to download this podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Here on The New Chemist, we discuss chemistry, which simply put is the science of change, as well as careers, community, research, and COVID-19. We're happy you're tuning in. My guest today is Dr. Lewis N. Jianghai. Thanks for joining me today. It is good to hear from you. Just briefly, I'll inform my audience about you. Dr. Louis N. Jungheim is a retired research fellow. He is the owner of LNJ j Consulting in which its primary focus is the critical evaluation of potential in-licensed opportunities for big pharma clients. He is an affiliate associate professor of medicinal chemistry at Roosevelt University School of Pharmacy in Chicago. And he has served as a member of the departmental advisory council and taught the medicinal chemistry of antibacterials. He is the former president of the Inuit Art Society He was a medicinal chemistry consultant to the NTB Now initiative via Lilly's connection to the World Health Organization and the William and Melinda Gates Foundation. He is an accomplished inventor with 31 plus years of medicinal chemistry experience at Eli Lilly & Co. in infectious diseases including antibacterial, antivirals and antifungals. His medicinal chemistry experience includes oncology, neuropeptide receptors for neuroscience and endocrinology and he has also served as the inventor of the NK1 antagonist Tradipitant. He was an NIH NCI postdoctoral fellow, from 1979 to 1981, at the University of Rochester, New York, serving in Andrew Kennedy's research group. He earned his PhD in 1979 at the University of Wisconsin-Madison at Bain Baritrosis Research Group. He earned his BA in 1975 at Northwestern University at Evanston. Illinois. In 1992, he was elected the chair of the Garden Research Conference on Herocyclic Compounds, and he has served as an ad hoc member at the NIH study section in drug discovery and development. Highlights while he has served, he served as the epigenetics platform chair, invented and developed small molecules that facilitate the oral uptake of therapeutic proteins. He was a member of the team that invented three clinical clinical candidates growth hormone secretagogues for the treatment of frailty. He developed potent and selective inhibitors of MRP-1 transporters. He invented the first non-peptide-based inhibitors of rhinovirus protease. He was a member of the Lily-Argoron team that discovered Vericept, which is otherwise known as or mesylate for the treatment of HIV AIDS. He invented novel cephalosporin-based prodrugs for the specific delivery of cytotoxic agents like vinca alkaloids and doxorubicin via tumor-specific conjugates. He invented the first potent, broad-spectrum antibacterial non-beta-lactam inhibitors of penicillin-binding proteins. So these are just a few of his accomplishments. However, Lou is an accomplished medicinal chemist. Please welcome Lou John. <laughs> Nobel Highlights Segment 2. The person we will be focusing on today is the Nobel art of 1902, Neil Fisher. He lived from 1852 to 1919. Emil Hermann Fischer was born in Ukirchen, a small town near Bonn, Germany, on October 9, 1852. He died in Berlin on July 15, 1919. In 1902, he received the Nobel Prize for work on the carbohydrates and the purines. Emil Fischer's doctoral thesis reported on the chemistry of dye stuffs and colors. In 1862, August von Hoffmann had prepared an important dye called rosaniline. The structure of the dye had been studied, but it was not known with certainty. In 1878, Emil Fischer, along with his cousin Otto, showed that rosaniline and related dyes were triphenylmethane derivatives. A little bit to note about his academic career. In 1871, Emil Fischer Entered the University at Bonn, where he attended the lectures of August Keckling and Rudolf Clausius. In the following year, he transferred to Strasbourg, where he studied chemistry with Adolf Bayer and earned his doctorate in 1874. He followed Bayer to Munich in 1875, where he became a private in 1878 and a junior professor in 1879. He became professor and director of the chemistry institute at Erlangen in 1882 and took a similar position at Wurzburg in 1885. In 1892, he succeeded A.W. von Hofmann as director of the chemistry institute of Berlin. In 1888, Emil Fischer married Agnes Gerlach. She died after only seven years of marriage. Together they had three sons. Two of the sons became medical doctors and died as soldiers in World War I third son Herman Fisher became a distinguished biochemist and completed his career at the University of California Berkeley where he died on March 9, 1960. Indeed a very good excellent great chemist. Hey Lou, thanks for joining me today. It's good to have you here. Good to see you again, David. Yep. Um, so, um, it you have worked in worked as a postdoctoral fellow, got your PhD from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. You have uh, served as a research fellow in many ways. Um, what have been your long-standing interests in the field of science?
3: I guess, you know, first of all, let's start with, I was always good at math okay. Okay. In, in school and my dad was an electrical engineer.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And so I think I always had a scientific bent. And, and while, um, let's say in Catholic school, science wasn't exactly the uh, preeminent class, by the time I got to high school, I think I really loved my science classes the best and had just a terrific um, chemistry teacher in high school too, which really kind of got me down that path.
1: All right. So,
3: okay, so
0: would you say it was your
3: chemistry teacher that kind of encouraged you and inspired you to pursue chemistry as a undergraduate? And yeah, chemistry? absolutely. I think that was kind of my favorite science. Okay, okay, that's good. So um, in terms of, uh, again, chemistry, what has been your focus? what was your focus primarily? Well, my focus primarily was synthesis, making molecules. Okay. Okay. Um, But as I got into my career, and I think part of the reason that I got into making molecules originally uh, was because I think as an undergraduate, I I really developed an interest in why do medicines work? And understanding that these were organic molecules that did things in your body that were of great benefit. And I think part of that was my junior year in college, I actually had an infection in my leg. I here. And And the doctor told me that if they didn't find an antibiotic that worked, they might have to cut off my leg. And so I think that was really kind of the, the beginning of my interest in why do organic molecules potentially do what they do in the human body wow oh that's an interesting story
0: so um so, so would you say uh so your research would primarily focus on uh, the synthesis. that's good so given all of your accomplishments um how do you maintain view
3: of the bigger picture in your career and in your life in general for me that's actually been very easy david um, okay. first of all I think a lot of my colleagues always considered me to be potentially not a completely serious scientist. Right. Part of that was um, I actually, as an undergraduate, financed my education as an athlete
0: mm-hmm.
3: and, and you know played all through college and, and progressed through playing semi-pro baseball in the Chicago area mm-hmm. um, in, in my youth. Um, I've always had active interest in photography Creative things, and organic synthesis is certainly um, a creative thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I love music uh, and and travel and so on. So I've always had, and motor racing actually has has been a fascinating thing. And part of that is because of my siblings. I've got a brother who's a mechanical engineer who actually works in the auto racing industry. Okay. So in, and in fact, that kind of drove me to Indianapolis where the Speedway is and the Indy 500 and so on. But it was also the best job offer that I got okay. as well. So it was it was really um, a, a wonderful thing. Now, in terms of my career, that's also been very easy because drug discovery, hunting, medicinal chemistry is so multidisciplinary. OK. That you really have to work with teams, uh People that are, are just as good at their own branch of science as you are at, at your ability to make molecules. And so I'm talking about experts in various fields of biology, pharmacology, mm-hmm. and, um pharmacokinetics toxicology Mm -hmm. and and then even with physicians who are expert in in the medical field for any particular disease that you're trying to target and and so you really you don't become an expert but you have to become conversant in all of these different branches of science in in order to to really be um an active participant in in a team effort But you have, you, you have to be the guy, and, and that's the cool thing about the medicinal chemistry. Mm-hmm. The whole thing starts with an experimental molecule that, that the biologists start working with, and, and you start refining. Okay. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Becoming
0: conversant to
3: be an active participant, that's
0: good. Um, so how have you been adaptive and creative in the field of science? What, what area, which niche would you say you uh, complement to adding a layer of
3: creativity? Or adopting a concept in a new way that's easy because i've worked on so many different things okay and i started out working on antibiotics
1: okay.
3: and and maybe one of the most well i think i've done a number of creative things okay um the very first project that i worked on at at lily uh, mm-hmm. lily at the time was known as an antibiotics house Okay. And and kind of the, the, the game of penicillin, cephalosporin type antibiotics was drawing to a close, and there was the sense that really new things were needed. Okay. And and in actually in a collaboration um, with Edward C. Taylor, who was a, a professor at Princeton at the time,
0: mm-hmm.
3: uh, has subsequently passed away, but it's still a dear friend of mine. Okay. He, he had an idea where he was making square rings four-membered rings with two nitrogens in a carbonyl to to mimic the beta-lactam which only had one nitrogen Mm -hmm. those turned out to be totally unworkable in terms of chemical stability okay and and at the time my first project was actually to try and and make make basically a backwards penicillin okay so put the lactam in the five-membered ring and really kind of squish it down with the four-membered ring attached to it And, and Ted kind of inspired the idea of actually putting a five-membered ring with two nitrogens in it. Wow. And those turned into a whole field of uh, bicyclic pyrazolidinomes. Wow. That, that turned out to be very effective mimics of penicillins and cephalosporins and quite potent. Wow. And and, and so these actually acted as beta-lactams, but weren't beta-lactams. I, I think maybe though my most interesting idea came later on in when we were working on aids and it it turns out that this is where i first became um exposed to a fellow named anthony fauci who's been in the news of late because he was kind of running and and leading the way in in fighting the world of hiv aids Mm -hmm. and and i was part of a team that invented a compound called nelfinavir which is an hiv protease inhibitor and at one point in time was actually the top selling HIV protease inhibitor on the market wow and the idea there was the molecule that kind of led the way came originally from Hoffman la Roche right okay. and there was some and and also, this was at a, a, a really exciting time because this was really when molecular modeling, x-ray crystallography, and, and quote unquote, rational drug design was really coming into its fore. Mm-hmm. And there was the understanding that part of the molecule that Roche had, had a, a piece, a glutamine in what they called the P2 pocket. Right. And the mantra from Roche was that the only thing that worked in the P2 pocket was glutamine. Okay. And that was the kind of thing that sort of challenged me intellectually when people would say something that couldn't be done. So not unlike you couldn't replace the beta-lactam in a penicillin or a cephalosporin with something other than a beta-lactam, which I had already done. I started playing with this region of the molecule. And what I did was actually inverted the stereochemistry of the glutamine. And so instead of using an L-amino acid glutamine, I started making D-amino acids okay. where I put a moiety that could mimic the glutamine into the pocket where the glutamine was going mm-hmm. and, and the tail out into the rest. Okay. And so by having an unnatural amino acid, this really impacted um, the... Chemical stability of the molecules because okay. they're much less metabolically labile,
0: okay.
3: and as we gained an understanding of of taking natural amino acids out of a molecule, the glutamine was actually something that was really hindering oral uptake, and that kind of became the holy grail for the HIV compounds, and in particular the protease inhibitors. Wow, um, was getting hydrogen bonding moieties and other such things out of the molecules and it was working there and showing that these things could make very potent and better oral uptake molecules wow. that got the whole rest of the team working in that region and and ultimately those ideas led to um, an even greater simplification in the molecule that became nelfinavir and and ultimately a compound that impacted um, the, the lives of, of AIDS patients. I'm very proud of that. Wow, that's, that's good. That's good. That was that was very, uh, that's good. You know, I
0: think you can dissect that some more, but we'll continue. That, that was good. And, and these things are all published too, so. That's true. That's true, people can look them up. Yeah. So, um, how did you seek or find the right environment for you to start scientifically and intellectually? And what I mean by that is, you know, you went to Northwestern, you went to University of Wisconsin-Madison, you are NIH NCI postdoctoral fellow at the University of Rochester, New York. You have spent a lot of time in medicinal chemistry. So obviously in some way, shape or form, you've had some success and you've tried scientific and intellectually. How did you find the right environment for you to do that?
3: You know, it's interesting. I did a lot of soul searching my third year is at the end of my third year as an undergraduate. Okay. Because by then I had finished basically all the coursework required for the degree and I I kind of spent a good part of actually my junior year thinking very hard about what I enjoyed most about chemistry. Mm. And given some of my other interests, like as a boy, I built a lot of plastic models Mm. and I joined, you know, working with my hands, other things, so it had to be a laboratory science. And then I look back and it was just, organic seemed to be the best match for me and also kind of the chemistry that fit. Also by then, and that was the time when I really had the, I had the infection in my leg that almost ended my baseball career. Wow. I ended up actually having my best season ever, my junior year, right after recovering from that infection. Wow. And, and sought um, the guidance of actually Professor J.A. Marshall at the time, who was the best synthetic organic chemist at Northwestern at the time. Wow. And, and as an advisor, he agreed to take me on Um, to do my undergraduate research project for my senior year. Mm -hmm. But it was in talking to him and and my saying that basically I kind of got involved in the the thought process of, you know, why do molecules work and so on? And that's where he said the beginning step there was really becoming the best synthetic chemist you can. Mm -hmm. And that's what pointed me um, to synthetic groups And that led me to Wisconsin and working for Barry Trost, which I'm sure is a name that you know in synthetic organic chemistry. From there, um, it it became clear that the place to do the kinds of things that I wanted to do was in the pharmaceutical industry. And that, that led me ultimately to Andy Kendi's group. And Andy had actually been a prominent medicinal chemist Um, in the pharmaceutical industry before he left the industry to go into his academic career. Okay. And and he offered me the opportunity to work on a molecule called Taxol. Oh, wow. You worked on Taxol. In fact, I was the first person to put the tricyclic ring system together and that was my NIH proposal. Wow. You worked on Taxol. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And, 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 and so it was the combination of Andy's recommendations, Barry's recommendation, and the relationship to Jim Marshall mm-hmm. um, that, that ultimately got me all of the job interviews that I really would have wanted to have. I got to interview for the big companies. And then being a Midwesterner, it was really great for me to be able to relocate to Indianapolis mm-hmm. um, and, and be near family in Chicago. Mm-hmm. That's good.
0: That's good. Yeah, that's good. So um, given all your responsibilities and accomplishments, especially when you were busy um, in terms of working as a postdoctoral fellow, working at Eli Lilly, um, how did you maintain a balanced life, or how did you try to maintain a balanced life?
3: Well, first of all, I had interests. Okay. All right. So motor racing, and boy, I moved to Indianapolis where – in, in, you know, there's a couple weeks in the month of May where you can really take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. I'm an avid golfer. Okay. There are A lot of good golf courses around here. Mm-hmm. You can do photography anywhere. Okay. But, but you come back to work, and I think part of the reason that I've managed to be able to be productive, creative, and so on, is because I had outlets for blowing off steam. Okay, that's
0: good. You know,
3: I, I could take a day, you know, and do something else. And so even even though um, your your mind is kind of always working, you know, your head never shuts off.
0: Yeah, that's true. In a
3: lot of ways, you're always thinking about how to make this molecule and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I guess another point I would make is something that really contributed to my success was being a really good synthetic chemist. Mm-hmm. There was no molecule that ever intimidated me in terms of trying to make it. And so I was always willing to try crazy ideas because we could usually find ways to make pretty exotic molecules to try wacky ideas, okay? And and understanding that that in medicinal chemistry, if you've not made something that's never been done before, mm-hmm. there's no getting a patent and therefore there's no getting a drug, okay? <laughs> and that's part of it too, but I think another side of it and it's something that really got drummed into the heads of the people that worked for Barry Trost was the importance of participating in the scientific community. Right. And so it was always when you can publish, when you can go to meetings, go. And and I think part of the interdisciplinary approach of medicinal chemistry and so on was, and, and of course you had the budget when you're working in industry to go to meetings that one kept you up with chemistry as a science, mm-hmm. But two, also helped you get much more acquainted and deeper into the various biological aspects of the particular kind of problem you were working on at the time. Mm -hmm. And and to network, network, network Mm -hmm. with people that worked at other companies or other academicians who were working in the field. And that was really a networking is just absolutely critical, not only within your company, but I think also the experts outside and so i have lots of friends who worked at all kinds you know at all the other big pharma companies Okay. Right.
0: yeah so that's good so um in terms of your success what would you say has been like the main contributor or, or guiding factor or guiding philosophy for your success as a uh graduate student as a postdoctoral fellow as a medicinal chemist in general
3: what would you say has complimented most the most to your success my father used to preach to me as a kid find something that you enjoy doing because you're going to be doing it for a long time Mm -hmm. and so seeking guidance seeking mentoring really mattered but i would say the guiding principle through my whole career has been and it's all it's it made me happy through the whole thing. You, you have a lot of opportunities to go in different directions mm-hmm. in life as a chemist.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: The guiding principle for me is, stick to what you're good at. Yeah, that's true. Even, even if there are other avenues, let's say like management, where you might make more money or maybe have more power mm-hmm. um, or things like that. It was mm-hmm. for, for me sticking to what I thought I did best is is really what has kept me happy productive creative and and successful okay wow that's good sticking to what you know sticking to your guns yeah yeah because because it's not it's not like um not like i ever wanted for for um money excitement fame and and Wonderfully interesting things to do and great people to work with Mm -hmm. by by sticking to being a scientist.
0: Yeah, that's true. Sticking to what you're good at. So, how did you maintain vision and teamwork in your environment? You worked in, you
3: worked at, as a postdoctoral fellow, I take it you worked in the team, with a team of people, not by yourself. And and with many, many different teams on many, many different kinds of diseases. And that was one of the great things. about it because it got to the point where because you were a good team player other people sought you out to help with their projects mm-hmm. and so people people were happy to have me join their efforts and i think a, a big part of that was communicating with your coworkers
1: mm-hmm.
3: giving them latitude Letting, that, letting them pursue their ideas as, as long as they continue to be successful. And I, and I also think um, really respecting and listening to the experts when another member of the team is the expert at, at the moment for what they're talking about. Okay. And, and then supporting and, and standing by, um, you know, their, their feedback and their guidance, especially if you're the team leader. Okay. You know, when, when when there's not good news, you've got to stand up and say, as much as I wish you know that we were where you know, meeting the milestone or whatever, where we are now, we just can't because of these data. And and a lot of that is just encourage the team to follow the data. It's a lot like what's going on in the world right now with the virus. Listen listen to the science. Yeah, that's true. Follow the science. Yeah. So um, in
0: terms of advice. Do you have any advice for those wanting to become medicinal chemists wanting to serve in industry and eventually in academia uh, what, what advice would you give to people who are either in the undergraduate years or graduate years what advice would you give to them
3: well as an undergraduate i would say do a lot of soul searching regarding what area of science interests you the most okay. because there are so many different directions that you can go mm-hmm. um be careful how you choose where you go to graduate school. Okay. What do you mean? And, by- um, be sure that where you go is going to give you the best possible exposure in the field you want to pursue. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of things about. You know, maybe you know somebody wants to go to Harvard or Princeton or or wherever, but that isn't necessarily where the best person or or really good people in your field are practicing that science that's true right that's and, true. And, and so you really you want to go somewhere where you will be able to get the best exposure um and and really good training in what you want to do That's true and then i think beyond that the the, the again the big thing is network 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 mm-hmm take advantage of the people that are around you in graduate school. I mean, one of the great things about working in, the, in at University of Wisconsin and in a group like Barry Trost was I've got friends all over the world now. Yeah, that's true. Because of people that I went to school with and then network, network, network. Seek seek mentoring and uh, by by participating in the scientific community, you end up meeting people in your field that work at other companies too and and those can be tremendous assets to you as you go through life. I mean, I was constantly getting calls by headhunters because of my contacts with other people. Oh, wow, that's good. And 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 so on. And so I always had plenty of other opportunities, but none of them ever looked better. I got really lucky and ended up in the perfect place for me right from the get-go. Oh, wow, that's good. That's good. But so, I always had the chance to do other things. Uh, wow. Again, because of the networking that I had done and the and the friends that I had made externally, mm-hmm. and that's both in academics and in um, and in um, industry industry. And and it led to other opportunities. Like for five years, I actually consulted for the National Institutes of Health, oh, wow. part- participating in a study section because of the reputation that I had developed um, actually both from people in academics and and in industry. Wow, that's good, that's good, yeah. So um,
0: what has been some of the most beneficial advice you have received as, uh, an,
3: as an undergraduate, graduate, whichever area of your career you received the best advice? Um, I think I got advice? terrific advice kind of every step of the way. That's good. You know, as I said, you know, Jim, Jim Marshall, who's unfortunately no longer with us, um, he, he really pointed me in the right direction of the, the way to understand best about what he heard me saying regarding human medicine, mm. understanding molecules and so on. The way to get into that was through the portal of synthetic organic chemistry right. and becoming the best synthetic organic chemist that I could be.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: because at the time the best synthetic organic chemists that you can be were the people that big pharma were hiring okay to go into both either process chemistry or to drug invention mm-hmm. and and for a long time i thought you know I, I might end up as a process chemist okay you know learning how to most efficiently make new drug molecules mm-hmm. but i ended up for whatever reason and i think it may be because of the recommendations that i got um from trost and from andy kendy and so on that the best fit for me was actually in drug invention okay uh but again you know with trost it was of course get your nose to the grindstone
0: mm-hmm.
3: be a participant in the scientific community when you have the opportunity mm-hmm. and network 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 okay and then with Andy, it was a lot of it was keep going, be creative, and publish every chance you get. Okay. You know, and, and a and a lot of that can be even when you have a chance to, you know, go to a meeting and give a poster.
0: Okay. You know? Good. It's good. Yeah. So Luman, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Um, this was it was good to talk with
3: you. You too, David.
0: Concept development 3. Structures, confirmations, and projections. Structures are diagrammatic representations of different molecules, and they provide a means of understanding what is occurring in nature. There are a variety of different structures used in chemistry. The main examples in the following discussion will be Lewis electron dot structures, condensed structures, and bond line structures. Lewis dot structures are built on some key ideas such as the valency and the octet rule. There are also specific exceptions for period 3 and beyond. Valency. Valency refers to the amount of electrons an will lose, many times resulting in a positively charged cation, gain, many times resulting in a negatively charged ion, anion, or share, typically occurring in covalent molecules, in order to have a stable noble gas electron configuration. Valency can be determined using the periodic table, the group number, vertical column numbers in the periodic table is designated the valency typically and this valency normally corresponds with charge or oxidation number and its subsequent sign is dependent on the type of atom, its reactivity and what it is reacting with. Um, also, you have the octet rule which is a principle with applications in resonance theory, simple chemical mechanisms and reactions. There are exceptions for period three and onward, depending on the atom, its reactivity, and what it is reacting with. There are exceptions to the octet rule. There are different ways to write structures. You have the condensed structures, you have the bond line structures, which are typically seen in organic chemistry. And you have different conformations, which help us to better understand the interactions of atoms and their bond angles when it comes to angle strain, torsional strain, etc. You have projections such as the Newman projection and Fisher projection, which can be read about in other texts. Two, three, and four, five. Biochemistry is the chemistry of life. With C, N, O, H, Calcium, P, K, S, at 95%, the dry weight best. Yet, most of the organism can falter, since they are 70% water. Theories on origin postulate and say, that life today arose from simple organic molecules. Polymerization of them is a fact when completed self replication capacity intact. Compartmentalization Mem brain formation endosymbiosis for prokaryotic to eukaryotic formation look at the mitochondria and we can see evidence of Margulis ideas most definitely with the kernel you before the kernel pro with the membrane you with no membrane bound pro Yo, B, yo, b-a-e, bacteria, archaea, and eukarya, I say, b-a-e, eukaryotes are like your animal and plant and fungi cells, prokaryotes like your bacteria and archaea, bacteria and archaea, are similar outwardly, but different inwardly. Let's recap with a thermodynamics wrap. First law states never destroyed or create created energy is always conserved. Continuing on to the next verse, second law states, Oh, learn about entropy at least from the basis of the microstate. In the system, it tends to increase constant as this verse is the entropy of the universe third law states completely zero Kelvin or absolute crystalline solid at zero I'll tell you a thing or two about the ideas of Josiah Gibbs ideas you know who? Josiah Gibbs. The energy to do work. Gibbs free energy. When positive, non favored When negative, favorite. Enthalpy. When positive, endo. When negative, exo. So. So. I will dare you to do your very best. But before there let's talk about le chatelier if a system is at equilibrium and one of the parameters is changed the system will shift so as to restore the equilibrium since it is is adored respected controlled redirected ideally simple and steady state yeah that is very great quick maths oh yeah quick facts oh yeah Quicker view with you know who My mitochondria is like the bank of america But it produces energy, currencies, to help the cell run efficiently. The processes, the cycles, the paths, it helps the cell run its machinery efficiently. Let's talk about the main big chief, the nucleus, the cellular CEO or executive branch. It ensures regulation and successful replication. It ensures good maintenance of good information. It ensures the blueprint is followed correctly with the other members helping cooperatively. The executive branch, your nucleus, Ensuring organization on every cytoskeletal branch. Golgi, Golgi, I am the producer of the PTMs, post translational modifications with your elegant glycosylations. Ribosome, satisfactory. The Protein Synthesis Factory. S.E.R. Smooth Endoplasmic Reticulum Lipid Modification. Synthesis of Steroid Hormones. And it is in the Detoxification Zone. R.E.R. Rough Endoplasmic Reticulum. Lump, modifies, packages, and transports those proteins in that cellular cord. Centrioles shine in phase during that replicative cellular dance. The vacuole. You may see it in a microscope. In a cell by chance cytoskeleton keeping the show intact with kinesin dynein, and myosin titan like that these help with that vesicular transport race they help to keep the cytoskeletal members in place dynamic as they are they are some of the main stars let's look a little closer with those glycogen granules in the occasional cellular space hold on let's keep pace testing two three and four, five biochemistry is the chemistry of life intermolecular covalent bonds protein levels of structure linear is one level with those amino acid chains primary that is called and that is a fat moving up with the beta strands then sheets and the alpha helices they meet secondary then has made it stop 3D structure and the tertiary just dropped with those subunits. Most definitely, we have finally reached the quaternary. Testing 2, 3, and 4, 5. Biochemistry is the chemistry of life. DNA with its adenine, deoxyribose, and phosphate. Hydrogen bonding to that thymidylate. Then with the G, triply hydrogen bonded to the C. Triply hydrogen bonded to the C. The guanosine phosphate, cytosine phosphate in parts the chief nucleic acid is made of nucleotides from the DNA with the histones to the beads on a string your nucleosomes to the chromatin making your chromosomes order regulation on your signaling cascades s g1 g2 and m testing Two, three, and four, five. Biochemistry is the chemistry of life. Water, water, on the wall, with the dipole and dipole. Bonds, with the hydrogen bonds, you see. It's intermolecular bonds, elegantly. High heat of fusion, just think. Allows water to act as a heat sink. A high heat of vaporization. IMFs complement. solution of most polar compounds and its ice is less dense than liquid water. 70% of the organism and yes, they still can falter. Testing 2, 3, 4, and 5. Biochemistry is the chemistry of life. Testing 2, 3, and 4, 5. Biochemistry is the chemistry of life.